Some time ago, Cherith Nixon gave a series of talks at Holy Trinity Church in Pitlochry, which is adapted specially for this programme. Today we hear about All Souls Day, which is on November the 2nd. All Souls For All Souls Night, our church holds a service for those who wish to join together to remember those they, whom they've loved and lost. And it occurred to me as I participated that always, in the mind of those of us who grieve, is the question, where are they now? In heaven? What is heaven? Surely not spending time sitting on clouds dressed in white with wings on our backs and harps in our hands, surely not. No one really knows what heaven is, of course. All we have to go on is what the Bible tells us. It's not a great deal. What are, but what is there is comforting. We can be sure that death is not oblivion, but an entrance to a new and far better mode of existence. When he was mortally ill, a great Christian evangelist wrote to a friend, One day soon you will hear that I have died. Don't you believe it? I shall be more alive than I have ever been. The book of Revelation tells us that in this new way of being alive, there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, which is wonderful when we remember the physical pain our loved ones suffered and our own anguish when they died. On the night before he went to his lonely death on the cross, Jesus prepared his disciples for their life without him, telling them not to be afraid. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. There are two striking concepts in these simple words. One is the image of a house, which suggests that heaven is a vast home with a place specially prepared for each of us. Think about preparing your spare bedroom for a friend coming to stay, a friend you know well. Think about all the little touches you'd add to make your friend welcome and at home, things you know she'll appreciate. Our home in heaven will be prepared for us by the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. As the psalmist says, You search me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. One of our great fears is of the unknown. I'm reminded of the story of an old man, a churchgoer all his life, who on his deathbed confessed to the priest that he was afraid of dying. But why? the priest asked. You believe you'll go to heaven, don't you? Oh, aye, the old man sighed, but it won't be what I'm used to. Heaven won't be alien to us. I believe that we will enter it with a delighted sense of homecoming. The other idea we can gather about heaven from Jesus' brief words to his disciples is that he will be there with us. St Paul tells us that now we see the things of God as if we were looking at a reflection in a mirror. And mirrors 2,000 years ago were very cloudy things. Then we will see face to face. Then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. 
After death, we will come face to face with the Lord who is the source of all the beautiful and wonderful things we have known in this life. The Lord who is love itself and whom we've understood and worshipped but imperfectly. The implications are staggering. God knows us inside out. We will know him as he knows us. St John in his revelation paints an intimate picture of God with his people living in their midst and wiping away the tears from their eyes. In my Father's house are many mansions If it were not true he would have told me so has gone away to live in that bright city. He's preparing me a mansion that I know. Jesus died upon the cross to bear my sorrow. Freely died souls like you might have new life, but I know that soon there'll come a bright tomorrow, when the world will all be free from sin and strife. Do not shun the Savior's love from up in glory Or you won't be there to sing the gospel story In my Father's house of mansions If you're true then to this land will surely go.
Lauren Laverne talked to poet and author Robert McFarlane about his love of nature and mountain landscapes. You can hear the full edition of Robert's Desert Islandists on BBC Sounds. Today we concentrate on the Christian aspects of his work, particularly the influence of Celtic Christianity. My castaway this week is the author and teacher Robert McFarlane. One of Britain's foremost writers on nature, his books, including The Wild Places, The Old Ways and Landmarks, have won many prizes and taken root in the bestseller lists. They're also shaping the way readers of all ages feel about the world around us. His children's book, The Lost Words, with illustrations by Jackie Morris, became a phenomenon, highlighting the language that was disappearing from British childhoods, words like bluebell and conquer. His most recent work, Underland, is an epic subterranean history of everything from the catacombs of Paris to an English forest's 400 million year old network of fungi. Though his love of the natural world began at a considerably higher altitude. He grew up in a family of mountaineers and spent holidays exploring the Cairngorms, nurturing a fascination which inspired his breakthrough debut, Mountains of the Mind. He says, my heart is made of mountains and always will be. They were my first love and they will be the last. Robert McFarlane, welcome to Desert Island Discs. Hello, Lauren. Robert, you're sharing your discs with us today and your writing is actually often described as having a musical quality and you've written songs yourself. So I'm guessing that music is important to you. Yes. uh, I mean, it just flows through my life. I have no musical talent as an instrumentalist, as it were. I sing enthusiastically, but badly, uh, a bit bit (laughs) like I write poetry, really. But yes, it's crucial to me. I, I listen while I write. I listen in my memory while I walk and while I climb. Music's kept me company on the page and and in the mountains and on the paths so yeah all right well let's dive in disc number one then if you would it's nat king cole's version of nature boy i guess i am a bit of a nature boy but i I also think it's just utterly gorgeous that voice of his that famous voice of his and lyrically i think it's one of the most perfect songs i know it's about this you know sad boy who travels melancholy and bittersweet very far very far but he learns one thing the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return and that seems to me 
an unforgettable truth. This he said to me. I know that you're not the biggest fan of the term nature writing, but there is an artistic tradition that, that you're part of and it's booming at the moment. There's a vicarious joy, I think, in experiencing nature through language, through media. But nature writing, if we want to call it that, has been happening in this island group for well over a thousand years. Some of the most extraordinary nature writing I know is early Celtic Christian devotional monastic writing kind of field notes these field notes from islands and headlands where monks had gone in search of eternity and divinity and found them in birdsong and wave and shoreline they're utterly beautiful they ring so clearly across 1400 years i think we better hear your next disc it arises from this it's not the wildwood of the lost words but it's the birds that flew from the topmost branches of the wildwood. It's a song called The Blessing that was written by some extraordinary musicians that Jackie and I came to work with and they produced a set of spell songs and they were very free adaptations often and The Blessing is the last of those. It takes its inspiration from the Gaelic naming or psalmic tradition of, of praise songs and I last heard it played under the Blue Whale skeleton in the Hintzy Hall in the Natural History Museum just a few weeks ago and it it reduced me to floods of tears. Uh, I think a, a year of intense self-control leaving the body, something about fragility and beauty and nature's presence for us all. But anyway, I'll let, I'll let your ears decide. Let your names take a root and thrive and grow And even as you journey on Past dying stars exploding Like the gilded one in flight Leave your little gifts of light And in the dead of night, my darling Find the gleaming eyes, starling Like the little aviator Sing your heart to all dark matter The Lost Words, The Blessing by the Spell Songs Musicians so it's time to send you away to the island, Rob. You can take a few things with you. Firstly, the books. I'm giving you the Bible, the complete works of Shakespeare, and you can take one other. What would you like? I would like to take the complete works of Gerard Manley Hopkins, the, the Jesuit poet, 19th century poet. And when I say the complete works, I mean the, the poems and his journals and letters, because they are springful of life and eye-sharpening vision and detail. Do they exist as a book already? Yes, maybe. I mean, they, we could maybe stick a couple of books together. Um, oh, we've got to be a real book. i 
has recorded the Psalms from the authorised version of the Bible. Today we hear Jeremy reading Psalm 114. It's followed by Tchaikovsky's Hymn of the Cherubim, sung by the Ukrainian National Capella Dumka, under their conductor Yevhen Savchuk. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah was his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled, Jordan was driven back, the mountains skipped like rams, and the little hills like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest, thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back, ye mountains, that ye skipped like rams, and ye little hills like lambs? Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters.
Haddo is Minister of Pitlochry Church of Scotland. Today her subject is the Japanese Sensei, teacher of karate. I'm going to tell you a story that happened centuries ago in Japan. There was a sensei, a teacher of karate. And all the boys from all over the region came to learn from this sensei. The sensei would teach them all the moves they needed to know. He would teach them how to stand. He would teach them how to punch. He would teach them how to round kick. He was the best and most well-known of all the senses in Japan. But every day, he did something with all the boys. He would pick one of them, and he would say, Come, stand before me. And they would come and stand before him. And he would hold his hands and say, I have a gold coin in one of these fists. You must choose. If you choose the hand with the gold coin, then you may have the gold coin. If you choose the hand without the gold coin, then this will happen. And every day, as the boys stood before them, they looked at the hands. They looked at the fists, trying to guess which one the gold coin was in. Now, they had a choice. They could choose the right hand or the left hand. They could choose to take that risk of perhaps getting the gold coin or the risk of getting the fist extended. But there was another choice. They could choose to choose no hand and go and sit down. And that is, in fact, what most of them did. Most of them came and stood and then turned and went and sat down. But occasionally, somebody would choose a hand. And then the sensei, the teacher, would say, Are you sure? And they would look at the hands again, and then they would go and sit down. And one day, it was Akito's turn. And Akito came and stood in front of the sensei. And Akito's family were very, very poor, and he knew that they could really do with this gold coin. So he stood before the sensei and he looked at the fists, trying to work out which one held the gold coin. He made his decision and he pointed to the right hand. And the sensei said, are you sure? And he looked at the hands again and he nodded, I'm sure. The sensei said, do you want to sit down? You have the opportunity to walk away. And Akito shook his head, no. And at that, the hand whipped out and Akito was thrown back onto the floor. And as he stood there, as he lay there, the sensei came and stood over him. And he put his hand out and helped him up. But he hadn't opened all of his hand, and he did so now, revealing a gold coin. He then opened the other hand and revealed another gold coin. And he put both coins together, and he said, 
the lesson I have been trying to teach for years is this. Sometimes there are difficult choices in life. Sometimes there are painful choices in life. And sometimes when you make a choice, there is great reward. And with that, he took both coins and he gave them to Akito. In scripture, all through scripture, there are choices being made. They are being made by all sorts of people. They're being made by children, by women, by men. All through scripture. And the biggest challenge that we have is to recognize when the choices come our way. And in Joshua, there is what is called the biggest challenge, the biggest choice that we have, where it says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And Joshua, despite the fact that he was surrounded by people who did not want to serve God, said this. It didn't matter what other people decided. He said, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. All through life, there will be choices. But perhaps the most important choice we ever make the one that will shape our lives beyond all other things is a choice of whether to follow God or not. Set the prisoners free and never 
Sorensen is Church of Scotland minister in Greenock. Alan is a regular contributor to Pause for Thought on Radio 2. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his shorter God spots, and today he has one on the darkest hour. A comedian once pointed out that you shouldn't always complain about men's faults. For example, her father used to sleepwalk. So instead of trying to waken him, her mother just put the hoover in his hands. Simple! And that's what faith is all about, isn't it? It's not closing your eyes to the problems in life. Hey, anyone who follows a guy who died on a cross isn't expecting to be exempt from suffering. No, it's opening your eyes to the possibilities and to the amazing things God can do. And anyway, the darkest hour is only 60 minutes long. Unfamiliar blessings to you. Doodaloo the new. There's a land that is fairer than day And by faith we can see it afar For the Father waits over the way To prepare us a dwelling place there In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore shall sing on that beautiful shore the melodious songs of the blessed and our spirit shall sorrow no more not a sigh for the blessing of rest in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore Sweet by and by, 
We will offer the tribute of praise For the glorious gift of His love And the blessings that hallow our names In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet Song. 